morning and to come with my wife. This is one of those great opportunities when we get a chance to, uh, to we just got up early this morning because we live in Burnsville, Minnesota. And so we just drove up here uh, through all the storms and the snow and to enjoy this great place where there is little snow. So thank you for letting us come and be with you this morning and share this incredible service. I, I heard that last Sunday you had an, a, an overflowing crowd. And we're going to continue to believe with you that that will become the norm. And before long, you'll have to go to two services and then three services. And you'll just expand all over this 20-acre campus. Fill it all for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Delighted to have my wife with me this morning. Baby, would just do me a favor? Stand and let these people see you for just a moment, please. This is not often we get a chance to travel together. I do most of my most of my traveling in the air, about 150,000 miles a year. So this is a rare opportunity for us to be together like this. And so thank you for letting us come. Thank you. I want to share with you this morning a great story. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We don't know how it all came down. But is it possible that God the Father called God the Son into the office? And God said to Jesus, the world needs a Savior, and I'm going to send you down to the earth to become the Savior. We pick up the story in Bethlehem where Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes, is laid in a manger. And then he appears at the age of 12, teaching in the temple. He escaped from the house for a little while. His father was amazed, grabbed him by the nap of the neck, said, no, 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 come back to Nazareth. Our work is not finished. His father was a master carpenter. They were building condominiums and strip malls and apartment buildings in Nazareth. And that's where Jesus matured, and that's where Jesus grew up with his family. But at the age of 30, Jesus began his ministry. Now, watch this. At the age of 30, there was no Facebook. There were no iPhones, Samsung phones burning up. There were no, there was no, there were no, there was, there were, there was no television. There was no radio. There were no jet planes. There was nothing except a donkey and a camel. And Jesus is going to tell the world, I've come to be your savior. How did he do this? What did he do? He called 12 men from 12 ordinary backgrounds to become his followers, his disciples, his church members. One was a doctor. One was a fisherman. They came from a variety of backgrounds, economically, politically, socially. And they came to follow Jesus. They hoped that he would become the next ruler of the world and thus they would have a place in his cabinet. You can see this. John the Baptist was always figuring to become the, the Secretary of State. Of course, there was Simon Peter who was going to be the he was going to be the Secretary of Defense. He was gifted with the sword. He could cut a guy's ear off and not even shave him. It was amazing what he could do. They hoped that Jesus would become the ruler of the world. They lived under the Roman rule in a time when the Roman rule was like the ISIS is today. Cruel, 
worth, they had, they had no heart at all. They would chop people's heads off, boil them in hot tubs of oil, crucify them upside down. The Roman rule. So in that environment, they were hoping, they listened to him, they saw that he did, he taught them how to pray, he taught them that from the, from the rockulus, but they, they, the underbelly of all of this was they were hoping that he would be the ruler of the world. But Jesus did not come to be the ruler of the world. He silver. Peter said, I never knew him. At the, at, the, at, at the most critical, critical time in the life of the relationship, he forsook his friend Jesus. But Jesus knew what he came to do. He came to be the Savior. That's why he allowed them. He allowed them. He allowed them to take him. And they, and they beat him like a piece of beef. And they hung him on a cross between two thieves. And there they nailed him that day because he knew that only by the blood of the Lamb of the Lord Jesus Christ would our sins be forgiven. And on the cross of Calvary, he said that day, these magnificent words, it is finished. I have paid it all. And I have good news this morning for Big Lake and for Monticello and for Minnesota and for the world. Our sins have been forgiven, not by penance, not by our offerings, not even by being 356, whatever it is in the, in the world. No, it's not by that. It's by the wonderful blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. Three days passed. Peter couldn't handle the fact that he'd betrayed his friend. And finally, on the resurrection morning, he went looking for Jesus. Where did they lay him? He had heard that they'd taken him off the cross, put him in a borrowed tomb. But where, where, where? And he found Jesus sitting outside of the tomb, the resurrected Christ. Their eyes fastened on each other. And Jesus said to Peter, go and tell the others. Peter knew where they were. He ran and he got the other ten disciples. He said, I saw Jesus this morning. I talked to him. They said, Peter, please don't do that to us any longer. They put him on a cross. It's all over. It was a wonderful trip. Three great. No, 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 no. I talked to him this morning. He wants to... Peter, please. Peter, please. No, no. Peter. And finally, he convinced them, and they went and they met Jesus. And Jesus said, now, here's the plan. I've got to go to the Father and explain everything that's happened, but I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father because he has supernatural power for you. He's going to do something through you that's never been done before in the history of the world. And as he was talking to them, he was caught up from among them. He disappeared in the air, and the angels came, and they said, This same Jesus that you see leaving is coming back. And I have more good news for you this morning, ladies and gentlemen. He is coming back. He's coming back this time, not only to be the Savior of the world, but to be the ruler of the world. Hallelujah. And we will rule and we will reign with him. On the way to Jerusalem, they became evangelists. The leaven turned into 120. Think about it. They got to Jerusalem. We read the story. We know what happened, but they didn't know what was going to happen, so they found a second-floor apartment that they could rent by the day. We call it the upper room, and there they began to wait. 
They took care of some business on the first day and the second day, and they continued in his presence. The third day and the fourth day and the fifth day and praying and waiting on him. The sixth day, the seventh day, waiting. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they kept, kept anticipating, oh, God, whatever you have in mind, please come and do something supernatural in our lives. And on the tenth day, it happened. Sitting as you are this morning, 120 of them sitting, they were waiting for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as he came, he impregnated all of them with the power of God in a supernatural way that they begin to speak in a language that they had never learned before. An expression of the power of God in their lives. It was feast time in Jerusalem. People gathered in from the surrounding area and they heard these people speaking in their own languages. Wow, how can this be? And Peter heard this. And Peter stood up and he began to pray. He began to speak to them. And being a good Pentecostal preacher, he preached and he preached and he preached and he preached. And when he got all finished speaking to them, 3,000 gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And if you come with me this morning, I'll put you in a jumbo jet and I'll fly you around the world and I'll show you today one billion people who gave, who, who, who have found Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. How is it possible? Because Jesus invested his life in the lives of 11 faithful men. That was the beginning of the Bible school ministry of the Assemblies of God. He formed the first Bible school there ever was. Hallelujah. And we carried it on about 110, 112 years ago when we got together as a fellowship in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I missed the first meeting by a couple of years. But they got together and they decided that they, wanted to have, they needed to have purity of doctrine. These groups of people from around America who had felt a, 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 a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, they wanted to form the greatest missionary army that the world had ever seen. That that's why today, ladies and gentlemen, I can come before you today and I can tell you that the Assemblies of God, this fellowship that this church belongs to, has established more Bible schools than any other denomination in the world today. That's the key to the great growth that I'm going to share with you today. It's through the training as Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago. As he, as he infused the power of God, the teachings into the lives of 11 men, they carried that ministry on. And today, ladies and gentlemen, there's this worldwide family called born-again believers, a billion of us. To God be the glory. I would say give yourself a big hand. You're a part of this great family of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was very privileged, as was my wife, to be born and raised in a preacher's home. She in New York, I in North Dakota. I met her when I was at North Central Bible College. I'll never forget it. Wow. And here we are 57 years later. Married, serving God, churches in Iowa and Kansas. And then in 1966, I sensed the call of God upon my life. As I had as a boy. Growing up in my father's church, missionaries traveled by car in those days, and they would come to the Johnson Motel. There were no other motels, so they stayed in our home. And I had the privilege of rubbing shoulders with the missionaries as just a boy. 
And when they would preach, they would ask, how many would want to give your heart to Jesus? Raise your hand. I got saved when I was six. I was saved when I was seven. I got saved when I was eight. I gave my life to Christ when I was nine. I, I encouraged every missionary and every evangelist and every pastor that we had. Everybody had one convert, me. I helped them all. But someplace along the line, it stuck. I no longer had to raise my hand. I knew that I loved Jesus. And as a boy, God called me to serve him overseas. So in 1966, after having served churches in Iowa and Kansas, Joyce and I felt it was time to go. And you look at me this morning and you say, 66, 76, 86, 96. How is it possible such a young man to have done all of this, all of these years? And the answer lays in oil of Olay. It's an amazing thing, ladies and gentlemen. Oil of Olay. Get it on early. Get it on. For some of you, it may not be any hope anymore, but you can always try. Always try. And so Joyce and I believe that God wanted us to go and to serve him overseas. I didn't know where. So I went to our people that you talked about this morning at our headquarters office, and I said, I think God wants us to be missionaries in Europe, but do you have any special place in mind? They said, yes, we need you in Spain. I said, wonderful, Spain, Honduras, Guatemala. I wasn't real sure where Spain was. Not a very good student, I admit to that. And so once I discovered where Spain was, they said, we want you to read the book by Dr. Bob Evans entitled, Let Europe Hear. This man had written a book on Europe, and every chapter was a chapter on a different country. And when I came to the chapter on Spain, the title of the chapter was Giants in the Land. Because there was nothing you could do in Spain. In 1966, there was no religious freedom. You couldn't preach. You couldn't marry. You couldn't bury. You couldn't pass out tracts. You couldn't hold church like there was never. There was, and, and, and they wanted me to go there. Well, you could That's how much they thought of me. And so I said, wow, wow. So I, I, I read all of this. Having gotten their encouragement and endorsement, I went to prayer. And I, I turned in my Bible to the book of Joshua. Chapter 1, and it says of Joshua, now Moses is dead. Joshua, I want you to take these people, the Israelites. I want you to cross the River Jordan. I want you to go in and possess the land. And every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I said, God, if you'll make me the same promise that you made to Joshua, I'll go. And I'll do what you want me to do. And as I was traveling across America, Going to Spain where you couldn't do anything. One day in 1967, somebody sent me the front page of the New York Times, that great bastion of conservatism. The New York Times. And it says, and it said in the front page, it said, General Franco, the man who came to power in 36 to 39, General Franco, Civil War, 36 to 39, a million Spaniards lost their lives. 39, he came to power, clamped total control on the country. Now General Franco declares religious freedom. I said, wow, praise God, it's happening. And so when we got to Spain, we knew that the answer lay for us was not to start a church, not to have a television ministry, a radio ministry, or even a literature ministry per se. But the key for us was to find a student or two or three or four or five that we could help to teach, and they would go out and start churches in this brand new land of opportunity. And that's exactly what we did. There was a little farm in southern Spain that we were able to transform, and we started 
started the first Bible school with the help of others, and we had five students. And those five students stayed for the entire course, and they graduated. And upon graduation, one of the students was hired by every home literature crusade, and under his leadership, that one graduate placed a piece of gospel literature into every home in Spain. That's the power of training. That's the power of discipleship. And if you'll come with me today to Spain, I will show you hundreds of places of Pentecostal worship. Not all just from that one Bible school, but springing out of leadership that are, that's invested in the lives of young men and women. And God taught us this is something that you need to continue to do. So while we were there in Spain, I received a phone call one day. Could you please come on over to Portugal? Yes. Portugal. Portugal and Spain make up the Iberian Peninsula, which comes off of France. It was our neighboring country, and I flew over to Portugal. And when I got there, I was met by these incredible people who are a part of the Lisbon Portugal Church. And this is what I learned. I learned that in that church, they had 60 additional congregations. It's a great incentive for you, my dear brother. 60 additional congregations in the city of Lisbon. 60 congregations, 60 places of worship. They had thousands of people in their church, and they only had three full-time workers. And so every time I went, they said, would you please pray for workers, pray for workers, pray for workers. I'm praying, oh God, send workers. And one day I was back in Spain, and God spoke to me and said, what the people in Portugal need is a Bible school. Oh, I said, that's a brilliant idea. Yes. So I hurried back to Portugal and I said to the executives, I believe that what you need to do is have a Bible school. You need to gather together the finest of writers, teach them and train them and send them out and fill the empty pulpits. Oh, they said, that's a great idea. Yes. And they want, we want you to come and to build it and direct it for us. Oh, I said, no, I, I said, I had teachers at North Central University that would agree with me. I could, no, no, I was, no, no. But one day God said, Sam, I want you to do that. And I said, I'll do it. By now we had three babies, two boys born in Spain, three little boys. We brought, brought them to America and I found, a, I found a mobile home in Springfield, Missouri where Joyce and the kids could live while I begin to travel. And you know, Steve, everybody needs to live in a mobile home. Once. We, I begin to travel across America. I'm traveling, I'm traveling, and I, I'm sh sharing the good news, what God's going to help us to do. And the people responded, and they, and, they, and they helped us, and I was able to successfully raise an amount of money that was adequate so that when we got to Portugal in 1974, we were able to buy 30 acres on the edge of the city of Lisbon. And I want you to see now what God helped us to do as we transformed that 30 acres into this incredible Bible school that you see on the screen behind me this morning. For the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, room for over 300 residential students, dormitories, classrooms, dining rooms, they love to eat, a chapel that would accommodate 1,500 students, and today the Assemblies of God is the largest Protestant denomination in the entire country of Portugal. How is that possible? It's possible because of trained leadership. It's possible because of trained leadership. And so God was very gracious to us, and God gave us favor with the people, and we were able to accomplish that, and, 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 and said, this is, this is, this is. So in 1989, when communism fell, 
Nine, you know, I was thinking about that the other day. 89.90. Wow, is this like last year? But it's already been nearly 30 years since communism fell, since the Soviet Union broke up. Some people in this room don't even know what I'm talking about, to tell you the truth. But when, when communism fell in 1989, I was one of the first ones to get into the country of Romania, a country that was, was staunchly a part of the Soviet Union. In fact, Ceausescu, the dictator in Romania, was the most brutal of all dictators since Hitler. He had 300,000 orphaned children. It was unbelievable what he had, what he had done to his, his people and, and the economy and the, and, 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 and the political, all of it was, it was just, it was, and they on Christmas Day, 1989, the people of Romania on Christmas Day, no help from the CIA, the people on Christmas Day, 1989, they grabbed the dictator and on public television, they put a pistol to his head and they pulled the trigger, blew his brains out. They did away with capital punishment right after that. But, but it, was, it was an amazing, it was an amazing thing how the, 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 the country began to spring to life like a flower began to bloom and blossom. So I was privileged to receive a call. Could you please come and help us? We need to build a Bible school. So I, I, I arrived in the city of Bucharest, Romania, and there we were able to buy five acres of land, and we began to build. We began to build. And you see what we build in the country of Romania, the city of Bucharest. And today in that country, ladies and gentlemen, there are 2,000 Pentecostal churches. Let me try it over here. 2,000 Pentecostal churches. Praise God. In the country of Romania. Well, we're on a roll. We're on a roll. I got a call. I got a call. I got a call from the Republic of Georgia. I'm not talking about Atlanta. I'm talking about the Republic of Georgia. This is the country that lies below the south of Russia, Russia, where Putin is the big guy, a small guy. Putin, and <laughs> poor guy, you know. He's not a happy man. He's not a happy man. Putin, is, you wouldn't be happy either if your name was Putin. I mean, he's just, he's not a happy man. Not a happy man. He's not a happy man. But we were privileged. We were privileged to receive the invitation to go into the Republic of Georgia. There was only a handful of believers. A handful of believers. Under the, under the communistic rule, they were, they were tortured. They were hunted down like animals. And you never knew when the door would open and the KGB would come in and take somebody else out of the little place where they were worshiping. I was there in that cellar-like facility. Just a handful of believers. But God gave us favor to send a clever young missionary in the the beginning days of the of the opening of of Georgia to freedom and uh, he had a goal to start a Bible school so he invited me and two pastors from America one from Oklahoma one from Indiana and myself and the missionary missionary I mean he was he was when we arrived he already had on his desk Steve, on, Pastor Steve, on his desk, he had a mock-up of what the Bible school would look like. He'd already acquired an acre of land, and he said, we're gonna, here we're going to have the girls' dorm, the boys' dorm, we're going to have the dining room, we're going to have, it was all right, and they had those little, you know how those architects, they have those little buildings, you've seen them, those little buildings, and they have the little cars for the little people that get in the little cars, and it's just, it's just an amazing thing. He had it all right there, and I looked at all of that, and I said, wow, look at that thing, and I, so I asked the question, it gets me into a lot of trouble. I said, what will that cost? He said, that will cost three-quarters of a million dollars. 
I was not ready for that. I was thinking maybe we could, you know, maybe we could, maybe. But, but wow. But the man from Oklahoma, Steve, I'll never forget. The man from Oklahoma said, I'll give you the first quarter of a million dollars. Wow. Well, the man from Indiana, he's not going to be put down by the Sooners. He said, I'll give you the second quarter of a million dollars. And there were only three of us there. I said, I got to find Steve Royalty wherever he is, <laughs> wherever he is, wherever he is. And God helped us. God helped us. We were able not to build on that land. It's a long story. I'll not bore you with the details. I had pastors with me who were beaten by a mob of 100 people. And we just felt that maybe that wouldn't be a good place to, to build. And so we were able to secure the, an ugly building, and we transformed it into this fabulous Bible school. To give you an idea of the size of it, on the ground floor, there's an auditorium for 1,000 people. But what's important is that from that time until today, the school has been filled with eager young men and women. And today, if you come with me to the Republic of Georgia, I will show you hundreds of places of Pentecostal worship for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ because it springs up out of training. Springs up out of training. That's the key. That's what Jesus taught us. That's what he, and so we've been deeply involved in having the privilege now of doing this in over 50 countries of the world, helping to build Bible schools, country after country after country. And we've done it in Albania, Albania, Muslim country. Albania, Albania. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Tough. I can't tell you this morning that there's hundreds of churches. I can't tell you that there's thousands of believers. This is a country where 99% of the country is Muslim. It's not easy. But Jesus didn't say go where it's easy. He said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we have one of the most courageous missionaries who, who bought this land, invited us to come. We provided the entire facility for him. And he's built this Phenomenal Bible school, and they're starting church after church after church in Albania, Kosovo, Macedonia, that entire area north of the country of Greece for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Bible school today is full of young men and women who once worshiped Muhammad, but today they worship Jesus Christ. Because there is an answer. Jesus Christ said, Go unto all the world and preach the gospel to well the, every creature. And it's happening. I, 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 I want to just give you a little insight into. Albania. My last visit there, I went through Hungary. I changed planes. I flew from Hungary down to, to Albania, the capital city, Tbilisi. And uh, in the pocket in front of me in the airplane was the magazine that all airplanes have for their company. And the feature story was in Albania. I'm going to Albania. So I read the whole story. And it said that in Albania, there are more Mercedes and BMWs per capita than any other country in the world. And most of them are stolen. So that gives you, that gives you a little bit of an insight into the country. Gives you a little bit of insight. That's the kind of people that Jesus Christ died on the cross for. And they're being saved and redeemed today in the country of Albania because of the Bible school that's been established and young men and women have been taught and trained. Russia, Siberia, 
We live, ladies and gentlemen, and no doubt about it, we live in a place where it just, it just can't stop snowing. It just, it just, it just, there's something wrong. Something, I don't know if it's, if, 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 I don't know. But it's, but, but it's, it, it doesn't come close to Siberia. It's it's bad there. But we had, we had, we had a wonderful missionary who went to Siberia at the, at the fall of communism, and we helped him to build this incredible Bible school. And out of that Bible school, his students went out and started 700 Pentecostal churches. Ladies and gentlemen, the answer lies in trained leadership. And that's what we're learning across Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and around the world today. And God helped us to do that in the country of Russia. Belarus is another one of those countries in, in, in the former Soviet Union. We've helped in Poland, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, all of those countries. And when we had built a Bible school in nearly every one of the countries or assisted in doing that, I, 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 we don't go back and build two Bible schools or three. No, we just usually build one. And so about 17, 18 years ago, I said to the leaders in Africa, I said, is there something that needs to be done on the continent of Africa? They said, oh, yeah, please. So, so, I, said, so I said, where would you like me to start? Oh, they said, no, 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 no. They, he said to me, this is Mike McLaughlin. You know Mike. And he said, I want you to meet with my five leaders. I said, no, I don't want to meet with five leaders. I don't need five bosses. I just want to meet with you. I just, she said, I'll tell you what you do. You, 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 and so I got started. I got started. And, and, and they took me to the country of Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Ethiopia, where... There are 80 million people today, Ethiopia, a difficult country, but God has helped us to build a Bible school there with your Minnesota missionary, Doug Lomberg. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we have just finished the second edition of the Bible school that will have room for a 1,000 students, a 1,000 students. And today in the city of Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, we have, a, we have a lighthouse that is reaching across the entire country because today in Ethiopia, there are 16 million Pentecostal believers. Well, maybe this is my 16 million. Praise God, Ethiopia. So that was our that was our that was our first that was our and so now we've helped in about 20 countries. And I want to just quickly I want to quickly would you come with me please to 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 South Africa, Johannesburg. It's a big city up in the northern part of South Africa. We'll change planes and we'll fly up about an hour and a half to a country called Malawi. It's a little thin country, just a narrow strip of land with about 12 million people in it. Malawi, 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 Malawi. And the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God of Malawi challenged his pastors some years ago with this plan. You'd like this. One, 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 one. If it's two, 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 too difficult for Steve and me. But one, 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 we can understand. And here it is. That every pastor would start one church in one year and send one student back to the Bible school. One, 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 one. So he challenged, so they accepted the challenge. But the answer lay in establishing a greater facility, a greater Bible school. So we were able to help them enlarge the Bible school that now accommodates four to 500 students on an annual basis. And today in the country of Malawi, 
this morning, 10% of the entire population is in a Pentecostal church. To God be the glory in the country of Malawi. It springs up out of leadership. It springs up out of training. And so we were involved in the country of Malawi. And at the same time, we've never, we've never just, we've never just. And so while we were working in Malawi, we were also deeply involved in the country of Nigeria, a country somewhat close by. It's the most populous of all countries in Africa with 130 to 140 million people, Nigeria, where today there are 10 Bible schools, 3,000 Bible school students taught by Nigerians. The Bible schools filled with Nigerians, financed by Nigeria, where the average wage today is still only a dollar a day, Nigeria. But in that country of Nigeria where they have had great opportunities to teach men and women the good news of Jesus Christ, there are 30 million Pentecostal believers in the country of Nigeria. For the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, Nigeria, Togo, Botswana, Mozambique, countries we've been involved in. I just got to stop for a moment before I close this morning. And I'm not closing, but we, we learn how to say those things before I close. And just as I close, and now finally, you know none of those things. When he says that, it means nothing. <laughs> you, you may get out in the park a lot and think it's over. There still might be a recall. You never know. Never know. Never know. You're a wonderful audience. Thank you for letting me come. But I just got I want to tell you, I want to tell you about Liberia. Liberia is a country north of Sierra Leone in West Africa. A little country. A little country. Where Charles Taylor, a madman, came out of Sierra Leone into Liberia, took 12, 13, 14-year-old boys, filled them full of drugs, and put a rifle in their arms, and they killed a half a million people. They slaughtered the people. They slaughtered the country. They burned down the churches. They burned down the Bible schools. And finally, they were able to capture Charles Taylor, put him in a jail in Holland, from which today he will never escape. And today we've gone back to Liberia, rebuilt the churches, rebuilt the Bible schools in Liberia. And today the the people of Liberia are starting 700 new churches this year for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It springs up out of training. It all comes out of this is this is this is not this is this is not rocket science. This is just simply doing as Jesus did. And so your pastor came with me uh, several weeks ago to the country of Tanzania. Now, Tanzania. How did we get involved in Tanzania? Let me tell you. I was over here in Burnsville, Minnesota, where Joyce and I live, minding my own business. No, I was just, I was just, I was just. And one day I got a phone call and the man said on the other end of the line, he said, my name is Barnabas. I said, that's good. Everybody needs to have a name. Barnabas, nice to hear you. I didn't know Barnabas. He said, I'm the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God of Tanzania. I'll put you up in a country on the east side of Africa, just south of Kenya, a country with 50 million people. When he became the superintendent 12 to 13 years ago in the country of Tanzania, he met with 15 of his key leaders for two weeks, fasting and praying and coming with a strategy that would help them to establish 10,000 new churches in 10 years. 
Never happened before in the history of the world. 10,000 new churches in 10 years. You know what that means? It means you need 10,000 new pastors. How are you, you going to do this? You're going to visit people like Sam Johnson in Minneapolis, Minnesota, who would say, you would ask, could you come and help me? And he said, could you come and help us? I said, I said, I, yes. Because, because, because rarely have I ever met anybody with this kind of vision and intensity and strategy. And so I went to the center part of the country through the Bible school called Central Bible College on 25 acres. It was decrepit. It was old. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't pretty. And, but I caught the vision with them and we began to build and we built and we built and we built. And one of the first things we did was build a dormitory for the men. That building houses 270, 225 men, of which most of them are already full-time pastors when they come to the Bible school. Now, your pastor was there with me, and that's why, that's why we went was provide classrooms, facilities for them. Because, you, can, we, you know, you can, we, we, we don't have millions of dollars that we can just, well, we'll build dormitories, we'll build classrooms and dining. No, you got to do. So we enlarged the dining room seats, 500 people now. We got started with the, with the dormitory space. We need classroom facilities that will be enlarged now. And that's what your pastor helped me to do. And that's why I, we passed out this, this, this uh, picture to you, every one of you this morning. And we went to dedicate this classroom building here, which is the first phase of two phases, to provide facilities for 500 students. And you'll notice in this picture this morning, if you take a look at this, you'll see something you rarely see in Big Lake. And that's your pastor with a suit coat on. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But it was mandatory in Tanzania because everybody, everybody, every, so I said, you got to, and he did. And we're very proud of him. So I put it right there. I want everybody to see that. And uh, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing, you don't know, folks, what he's got back in his closet. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll probably never know. But we're helping to build that Bible school that will accommodate 500 students. That's one of seven Bible schools, and we've helped them to start church planting schools. They started out with 10 church planting schools. Now they have 61 church planting schools that are established all around the country because we're now in the 10th year of the 10-year plan and already they have started 9,250 9, brand new churches. Don't clap that loud because you're camouflaging for the rest of these people. I, I want you to, <laughs> this is a wonderful body of believers. I'm telling you, you were, they, have, they have already started 9,250 churches. Give the Lord a big hand. Praise God. And so, and so we've been deeply involved for seven years in Tanzania while we've also been involved in Asia. In Asia, we've helped in the Philippines. We've helped in Bangladesh, a country of 160 million Muslims. Bangladesh. Bangladesh. We've helped, we're helping in Nepal, a country where until 19, 1990, if you spoke Jesus Christ publicly, they put a pistol to your head and pulled the trigger. Ruthless. 
But after 1990, it began to change a little bit with the government. And today, 1,425 Pentecostal churches have been established because of this incredible Bible school in Nepal, Kathmandu, the home of the Himalayas. And we've been, we're deeply involved now in building behind this Bible school a dormitory for 100 women. Cam Nepal, Cambodia, Cambodia, Darthley, Homa Darthley, your own missionary from the great state of Minnesota. And then in India, India, and I close this morning. I work towards our closing this morning. Let me check my time. Yeah, we'll beat the Baptist to lunch. Over 60 years ago, over 60 years ago, there was a wonderful couple by the name of Mark and Hulda Buntaine. Some of you in this audience know the name. Who went to Calcutta, India. Today, a city of 18 million people. Then, a slum. One big, huge slum. Today, it's a tech city. Calcutta, India. Their hearts were broken. They began to feed the impoverished. And from that time until today, 60 years later, they have fed 20,000 people every day. They built a hospital. They have one of the most outstanding hospitals in the world, seven stories tall, serving free care to thousands in Calcutta every year. They built churches. They built schools. But Mark's heart wore out. You can only imagine after 25, 30 years of going as only Mark Buntaine could go. And when he died and they had the funeral, his wife, Hulda, who nobody had ever heard of, she always stayed behind and did all the work while he was out here. And um, she went into his office and she found on his desk the plans approved by the city of Calcutta to build the new church. And she became the first ordained woman pastor in all of India with its 850 million to a billion people. She became the first ordained woman pastor and she built a seven-story church facility. Unbelievable. Hulda and Mark have been dear friends of mine, sorry, dear friends of mine for years. And we, Hulda and I, were at a supper about four or five years ago. She was sitting to my right, and she reached over, Steve, and she took me by the arm. And she said, you don't love me anymore. I said, how the heck can you say that? Everybody loves you. The woman today is 93 years of age. She's the, she's the, she's the ever-ready Bundy. Bum bunny. Uh, yes. I mean, she's a, yep, yep, yep. And he, she said, you don't. No. I said, of course, everybody loves you. She said, no, 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 no. You don't love me anymore. No, don't, please, don't say that. She said, yeah, but you've never been to Calcutta. I said, you're right. Everybody went to Calcutta. Everybody went to Calcutta. Mark Montaigne, Calcutta. Ba, 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 ba. I said, no, 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 you're right. And she said, yeah, but there's only one of you, and I need you to come and help me. I said, what's your problem? She said, I built the church after Mark died. I started the Bible school in the basement of the church. I got 150 students in my Bible school, but you can't push out the walls to a basement. I can't grow, and I need you to come and help me. And I said, I'll do it. And we went. 
And it's a miracle of God. I don't have time to tell you the story, but God gave to us, gave to the church four and a half acres, a building three stories tall that was the beginning of the Bible school, valued today at six and a half million dollars, U.S. dollars, in the city of Calcutta, India. And today we're helping them build a beautiful woman's dormitory that will be finished in October for over 100 young ladies. It's a great story. It's a great, and God's been able to help us. And today, today, that one church, that one church has started 220 schools. They feed 20,000 every day. They have the hospital. They have the church. They're ministering across northern India. It's all possible because of trained leadership, trained leadership. And so the Lord has been privileged to us and has helped us in, in, in a tremendous way to be involved in Asia while we've been working deeply in Africa. But now I'm going to close. I was having lunch on a Sunday in Bangkok, Thailand. I reached across the table, put out my hand, and shook the hand of, a, of an elder. And I said, my name is Sam Johnson. He said, I'm Joel Hayes. I said, nice to meet you, Mr. Hayes. I said, who are you? He said, I'm the first missionary back into Burma, Myanmar, since they reopened. I said, well, tell me about it. Because I remember Ray Trask, some of you know that name from Minnesota, missionary from Minnesota, who went to Burma in 1960, 61, 62, and 50 miles south of China, he started a Bible school. But in 66, Burma kicked him out and all of the missionaries, and they closed the door to the West. And only seven years ago or so, they reopened the door to the West. And he said, I'm the first missionary back into Myanmar. I said, wow, what a story. That's phenomenal. He said, but I need you to come and help me. I said, what do you have in mind? He said, you come and take a look. And I went to Machina. You go to Yangon, Rangoon, Yangon, and I flew north to Machina. And this is what I found. This is what I found. That's the boys' dormitory that Ray Trask built. This is where, the, take a look at the next picture. This is how the boys sleep on the floor, door after bed after bed after bed. You notice the you notice the beautiful you notice the beautiful closets, hooks on the wall. He said, "We need a boys' dormitory." So here's what I did. I had a meeting while I was there with the termites. No, I I met with them, and I said, "Now here's the deal." I want you to hold hands and link arms. Keep this building up for just a little bit longer. I need your help because I'm coming to get you. And sure enough, sure enough, they helped me, and I went back with some pastors. We took some sledgehammers. Boom! We knocked out the props, and it didn't take long. The building collapsed, and we began to build. And we built, and we built, and we built, and we built. And you see what God helps us do in the country of Myanmar. It's almost finished in this picture, but now as the picture keeps growing, you'll see the miracle of, look at that, look at that, look at this, look at this, look at this, and this is the final picture, no more, there it is, a, a boy's dormitory fully built for 300 young men. Praise God, on a campus of 20-some acres, and now through the miracle of friends, we are also building a woman's dormitory for 200, and next May, 
one month from now, we will be there and we'll have a dedication of dedications. We'll dedicate the women's dorm and the men's dorm for all 500 students for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could you give him praise this morning? Praise God. Praise God. Here's the best news I can share with you in one way, and that is it's all paid for. Everywhere we go and when we finish, we cut the ribbon, it's all paid for. There's no 20-year, 30-year mortgages, all paid for, paid for, paid for, paid for. People have asked me, how much money, Sam, have you raised in 55, 60 years? That's not important. What I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, is where the facilities are and that the work of God is going on in a greater way than ever before. That's what's important. That's what's important. That's what's important. And it's being accomplished today in all of these countries. So last year, last year at this time, I took pastors from North Dakota and South Dakota with me to, back to Tanzania. And we broke ground for a, for a classroom, and we call it the Dakota Academic Center. North Dakota, South Dakota. This year we made an exception because he came along from Minnesota. Now it's the North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota Academic Center. But we dedicated what they gave money to last year. We dedicated it this year. And while we were there, already the foundation had been, had been established for the new second phase, which you have here. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. See this? If you don't have one in your hand, take a look at this. This building will give us room for the additional 250 students in our classroom facilities there. And when it's all finished, we'll have room for 500 students. And we can do this building. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the miracle of it. We can build this entire building for less than a small home in Big Lake. We can do all of this for less than $200,000. This is the miracle of the fact that we have lots of wonderful students there, 250 of them who are involved in their, in their free time, involved in Saturdays, involved in their, in their summer times, helping us to build. And next year at this time, in fact, this coming fall, that building will be fully built and we'll have a big dedication next year at this time. Because God has given to us friends from across America. And your pastor came with me, and he was deeply touched, as the pastors were from the other states. And he said, Sam, my church wants to be involved in making a difference in this country to help train these pastors who are starting these new churches. And at the end of this year, we're going to have a huge meeting, and we will have, we'll, have, we'll celebrate at that time the 10,000 church established this year. Uh, th these 10 years in the country of Tanzania. And so this morning, I come to you with this great opportunity to talk to you about what Jesus did, how he started all of this, and how he taught us and he trained us. And now the opportunity is ours to carry on the ministry that the Lord Jesus Christ began to do. So your pastor is going to come. He's going to give you an opportunity to help us make a difference in the country of Tanzania, one of the most impoverished countries in all of the world, you get off of the main drag, and 80% of the people live in villages where there's no running water, where there's no electricity, but we're going to them with the love of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to tell you, they found that there's something more important than running water and electricity. That's the freedom that comes with knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior.